Welcome to the Making Data Simple podcast, or, or Making Everything Simple podcast. Al Martin here, your host, and I am a host with a cold today. And we don't always release these the podcast episodes in order. So if you heard me, I think in a previous podcast that had a cold, it's not like I have two colds; it's just the same one. So um, either that gives me the radio voice, finally the radio voice that I've always wanted, or it just makes me sound like I have a cold. What do you think, John? Radio voice or just just cold? Sounds pretty fantastic to me. Ah, oh, the perfect guest answer. Love it. Love this guy. Lying, but that's great. <laughs> uh, I am, as you've now heard, I am with the distinguished John De Niro. Uh, he is a professor at UK Berkeley, or UC Berkeley, uh, a chief scientist at lilt.com. That's L-I-L-T.com. He has a PhD in computer science from Berkeley, a ton of other degrees. He's got an undergrad and master's degree from Stanford, including an MA in philosophy. Dude, I'm feeling like bad about myself now. <laughs> well, some, some people are afraid to go out in the world, so they just stay in school forever. I'm one of those. <laughs> I doubt that's the case. But then you've also, I'm not even finished yet, man. So hold on. I You've won a Campus Distinguished Teaching Award in 2018. Um, again, I look, I, I could go on and on. I guess I'll stop there, but I feel like I'm not get, get, getting it done. Fat, drunk, and stupid is not a way to go through life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Well, welcome, John. I appreciate you being here. You're a st- distinguished guest. No, no kidding. So, um, again, one more time, a specialty in, in artificial intelligence, chief scientist at Lilt Incorporated, um, which, uh, to my understanding, develops and operates an online transaction platform. I'm going to stop there. I'm going to let you introduce yourself, and I've got a lot to talk to you about. Sure. Thanks so much for having me on. This is great. Um, I, um, yeah, a little bit about myself. I I uh, started studying artificial intelligence in grad school, focusing on language, and in particular on how to automatically translate one language to another. And there was one spot on the world that was doing a whole lot of that, uh, Google. So I went and joined Google Translate after I finished my PhD to work on that system. Um, but uh, at the same time, like everything that was happening in artificial intelligence, computer science education, data science, seemed pretty interesting to me more broadly. And um, there were a lot of students wanting to study that. And so I decided to leave industry and come back to primarily teach at UC Berkeley because it was kind of the, the right moment for computer science and data science education to figure itself out, figure out how to scale up so that we could teach lots of students this stuff um, and uh, figure out what to tell them to prepare them for the world that's coming up. Um, so th- that's sort of my background. Um, and then, as Al mentioned, I'm also chief scientist at Lilt. So Lilt is a startup about machine translation, kind of stuff that Google Translate does, except for a little bit different. Instead of doing things fully automatically, we keep people in the process. And that means we can actually get the translations right at the end of the day instead of only kind of right. Um, so, so we're doing a human-computer interaction artificial intelligence uh, platform so that uh, we can really get the translations right at the end of the day, but we can make the translations be, uh, well, the translators kind of be more productive, more accurate, uh, and uh, get more done. Wow, a lot to talk about. So look, I'll give it to your preference. Should we dive into Berkeley, because I got a lot of questions there first, or should we go to Lilt uh, and talk about some of the machine translation you talked about? What do you think? Well, I'm sitting here in the middle of Berkeley campus, so maybe we should talk about that first. <laughs> all right. Well, that answers your location, first of all, right off the, or the bat. Hey, are, where are you originally from? Um, I'm originally from Pasadena, but I grew up mostly in Minneapolis. 
uh, which is a little bit colder than Pasadena. So then when I had a say in the matter, I came back to California. So, yeah, because you're just trying to get away from the cold or what? Well, California is a nice place. <laughs> Very good. All right. So it so, sounds good. So you teach. Here's what I'm here's what I found. You teach the now famous undergrad artificial intelligence course at Berkeley for a, what for which you won a, a campus wide teaching award. And I got to believe that you're extremely proud of that. So, again, lots of questions. But. Let's just start out with very simply, what's the material? How is it organized? And then I want to go into that teaching award in terms of where that went, but uh, material and how it's organized. Let's start there first. Yeah, so when I came to Berkeley as a graduate student, you know, 15 years ago, we had one undergraduate artificial intelligence course. And I taught that and it was an upper division, you know, advanced course that was all about how to make computers make decisions on their own. So fully automated, um, this was about, you know, robotic decision-making and control, uh, Bayes nets for making diagnostic decisions in medical applications. So it was kind of all about that kind of core artificial intelligence uh, that had been, you know, successful sometimes and not successful sometimes through the 80s and 90s. And we'd built a course around that. Now we have a whole array of courses and I've helped build some of those. So uh, after teaching that artificial intelligence course that was kind of advanced undergraduate, uh, all about making automated decisions. We recently developed a new freshman course called Foundations of Data Science, which is also an artificial intelligence course in the sense that we teach students, even in their freshman year, how to make predictions, how to build classifiers, how to like use data and computing together in order to get something done. But it's got a different orientation. Instead of being about fully automated systems, it's about how to use data to make decisions where you're letting the computer do a lot of the work for you. So it's doing the optimization procedures, it's uh, fitting the regression lines, but it's up to the person to figure out how to interpret that in order to understand the world. Um, so yeah, so maybe I'll talk a little bit about this freshman course since it's a little bit newer. Um, Foundations of Data Science is a replacement for statistics. A lot of students don't take intro statistics anymore. Instead, they take this course where they learn to program first, and then they learn how to think about uncertainty in the world and how to interpret, you know, you, you don't always get to look at all the data. You get to only look at a sample of the data. What can you actually say about the world based on that? So that core idea of inference about the world based on uncertain information is one of the big topics. The second big topic is how to manipulate data sets. So like uh, if you have a few different tables that tell you uh, here's the weather and here's uh, people's car rentals, how do you figure out whether people drive more slowly in the rain? Well, you have to join those tables together. So that kind of manipulation is core, I think, to, to getting something done in the world. And then the third part's about prediction. So like if you have the text of a movie script, can you tell if it's a horror film or a comedy or something like that? And we do all that in a, in a semester long freshman course. So I think I made a miss. The first, you, you talked about the replacement for statistics, manipulating data sets and predictions. But is did I get that right? The three? I mean, or the first one did I mess up? Yeah, I mean, replace. So what is statistics all about? It's really about what can you infer about the world, given that you only see some data. And that's exactly what we try to teach, except for instead of doing stuff by hand or memorizing formulas, we use computers to do all that. So we reload real data sets from the web and manipulate them. And then to do the inference, you know, to compute a confidence interval or a hypothesis test, we use computer simulation techniques 
which are like very common in the real world statistics when people like when statistics professors do consulting, they're often using simulation based uh, techniques in order to draw inferences. But what we used to teach in our statistics courses was the more classical view where you'd make an assumption about the data that sometimes wasn't true about a normal distribution. And then you'd have to like work out with some formulas, uh, you know, what the confidence interval was. And so we've switched to instead doing a more computational view of, uh, of how to make inferences about the world. That's right. See, John, um, you know, before the podcast, we were talking about how long does this usually go? And this is why I say it's take a full hour because <laughs> I could talk to you all day about every one of these topics, but I'm going to try to figure out how to pinpoint and do the questioning right to get to the, so I don't take you, I mean, it'll be respective of your day. So, you know, when I was in school, yeah, I took, I, I took statistics and I think it was mostly about card tricks, <laughs> but now you're saying that, uh, do you need statistics anymore? Is this really a truly a replacement for statistics? Because it it's just, it's taken it to a, a new level. You still get statistics uh, in that in the in the program itself, but it's it's you know it's about data. It's about making decisions upon that data, etc. I mean, I guess the question stands: Do you still need statistics, or is do you, do you skip that altogether with a course like this? Oh, that's a great question. So, I mean, we built the course in collaboration with the statistics department with a bunch of statisticians. So do we need statistics? Absolutely. I think what has changed is the way in which you learn about statistics can evolve now that we have computers around. You know, most statistics courses that were designed for undergraduates assumed that computers didn't exist and all you had was a hand calculator. But that's not true. You do have computers. We can learn how to program them uh, pretty quickly. And that means we can take different approaches. So really what we're trying to do is just align how we teach statistics to undergrads to how real world statisticians actually practice their discipline these days, which is very computational. So this is just like a more like making sure that undergrads know the computational view of what statistics is rather than throwing out statistics altogether. Now, listen, listen, I'm sure the, the statistics department didn't listen to this podcast. So let me ask, let me ask again, do you really need statistics now that we got your class? Oh, yeah, no, I, to... I, I, <laughs> like, it. I like it. Spot. You're giving me a hard time. Yes, we do. I think uh, we, we right. really need, I, I think more than ever, we're at a stage in the world where people are trying to make decisions based on data as opposed to just on their intuition or anecdotal evidence. And that's a good thing. But there are lots and lots of ways to come to the wrong conclusion from a data set. And so statistics is really about making the right conclusions or sound conclusions from data as opposed to being misled. And that I think is more important than ever. So this is the age of statistics rather than something we don't need anymore. I know, when I, exactly, when I took statistics, it was a complete, it was a prereq. For, for everything else, from differential equations and everything else, I thought, oh, I got to take statistics. Now it's like the center of the universe, it, it, it feels like, in terms of where we're going with this stuff. Let's talk about manipulating data sets. The interesting thing here is, um, you know, for me, you know, I, it, like the beginning of this year, I took over what I call Watson Tools and Runtime, which essentially are our machine learning. It's, it's, it's our machine learning play here at IBM, and I've learned a lot. And since then... You know, data. I used to be a data guy. I'm still a data guy, uh, but my my view on data has changed a little bit. And this is where I want to get your your view on it. In that, 
I think it's in, in important to understand the strengths and limitations of the data set that you're looking at. Because what I find now is I'm dealing with clients, you know, there's a lot of data sets out there and they were, those data sets have been out here for years, perhaps. I mean, years upon years, which is great. You got a lot of information, but it's really not intended maybe to the questions that you're looking to answer. So I guess what I'm trying to say is the historical data is, was collected unrelated to the, the business problem that we're currently after. And I'm also finding, to take that a bit further, is the part of data understanding also includes the costs and benefits of the data source. Sometimes you got to go pay for some data to complement the data that you already have. I, I guess where I'm going with all this is where does data come into to play with a course because it, it's taken on new meetings. So what do you what do you think about all that? I mean, where does data play and how do you go about getting the right data for the, the right question that you're trying to answer? Oh, yeah, such a great topic. I think, um, well, well, let me step back and say there has been another shift in statistics where um, people used to think really hard about designing studies of how to collect data in the first place. And they still do that because there are still settings where you get to go design your own experiment and collect data from scratch. And this happens all the time in the sciences, and it's a wonderful thing. But when you switch to business applications, a lot of times you're working with found data or data that already existed. It was collected for a completely different reason than what you're trying to use it for. And that's a different game, right? That means you don't get to design the study. Instead, you get to work with the information that you have available, and that introduces a whole host of new problems. You know, do these data really describe what you care about? Uh, is there a systematic difference between the distribution that was happening when this data was collected and the future that you're trying to model? Uh, all of that is uh, what makes data science really interesting these days, but it's really hard. So what do we do in our courses about this? Well, um, we actually have whole units. So uh, in, in this freshman course, now we have like a junior level course that adds on to it, the principles and techniques of data science. And in both of these courses, we find real world data sets that are out there on the web already, and we try to repurpose them. And we try to do it in a way that's careful, that actually um, teaches students that, that if you don't clean it up and you don't visualize the data beforehand to see what's missing, and you don't uh, make good assumptions about how to fill in the stuff that's missing, then you can come to entirely the wrong conclusion. So yeah, so paying deep attention to the data, kind of working with the data, visualizing the data, trying to understand what you have available, reading about where it came from, this is all just essential to the process of building anything these days that's a data-driven system, because you know the data just as important as the code. If you don't have both, then you can't build an artificial intelligence system. I got to believe the students want to skip to the code, no? Or do they find interest in that data? Have you found a way to say, hey, look, now this is just as fun as is getting, uh, you know, starting our coding, uh, assembling the right data, and, and it's kind of like an art. Uh, but I got to believe the students, are they more interested in just getting to the code? I mean, we always talk about here that, uh, you know, 80%, and this is another question, I know I'm throwing a lot here, but 80% of the time is spent on gathering, cleansing, um, you know, nurturing, whatever you want to call it, the data versus 20% is actually on the coding and, and doing the magic in the models or whatever the case may be. Do you find that to be the case? You know, I do wish I had a secret recipe for making data cleaning fun and engaging, <laughs> but, but it turns out that that's always going to be the less glamorous part. But I think in, in, a, 
course setting, we can do the following. We can show that if you just blindly apply learning techniques, you can build systems that don't work. You might even think that they work, but they don't work. And then we can show them that they don't work. And that the real problem was they didn't spend enough time on data cleaning or data representation. So that's a lesson that um, you could learn the hard way out there in the world, but it could be very expensive. Instead, if you just learn it while you're in school, then you can appreciate that there's value in doing all that data cleaning and data collection work, even if it's not the coolest part. Uh, because you really do want the system to work at the end of the day. And if that's your goal, then you have to pay attention to that in addition to the algorithms. You think it's about 80%? Is that about, is that what you usually find you're spending your time on? Well, um, yeah, I guess in my life, like my industry engagement, yeah, yeah, I've always been lucky enough to work in teams where I don't have to do all the data cleaning myself. So I'd say like, uh, team wide, yeah, it's always eighty percent. You farm that out, but but sometimes sometimes I get to work on the algorithm side, and that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So speaking of the algorithm side, so well, let me back up. I mean, when when you say, or at least when I'm looking at your teaching artificial intelligence uh, there, at Berkeley, it is you know we, I guess I would ask you to help me with this. You know, we we overuse the term artificial intelligence at IBM. Here we call it mostly augmented intelligence. But it's really ML. It's 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 you know, it's a practice of data science. I mean, where does can help me characterize that in terms of what you're teaching? I mean, it sounds like you're you're you're, you're you have elements of everything. But how would you describe it? Yeah, we've decided to call it data science, the most broad version. That's about careful data collection, data cleaning, this whole life cycle of doing exploratory data analysis. Maybe that means you need to do more cleaning. Now it's time to build a model, make some predictions, do an evaluation, assess that that's right. So yeah, it's, we call that data science around here. And that includes uh, artificial intelligence, some inferential statistics, just understanding the domain of the data that you're collecting. So uh, this is something that all the different departments on campus can participate in because you know only the folks in public health really understand the public health data and what it represents. Um, so, yeah, so that sort of umbrella of the whole domain we call data science. Um, and that, I think, is something that has many different paths through it, of course. And this is a big campus. You know, I have 30,000 undergrads. They're not all going to study the same thing. So we try to keep give them all the same foundation, the same skills about manipulating data, about making predictions, about making inferences. But then they can figure out exactly how they want to specialize. Do they want to go deep into like robotic control, artificial intelligence? Do they want to go more into an applied area of making inferences about particular data, you know, climate change or something like that? And uh, that all could seem like data science to me. What what degree are, are, are students usually going after when they start taking many of these classes? I know it sounds like a silly question, but I was at a university recently. I was talking about data science, science with them, and I started. I said, where are these classes? And they said, oh, they're in the business school, uh, which shocked me. I was like, they're on the business side. I was on the engineering, uh, you know, because I went through engineering. I thought, well, that seems like more, and I had to take statistics and everything through engineering. Where, where does that fit in at Berkeley? Help me out here. Yeah, great question. So um, most of what I've described is collaboration between the two departments, the statistics department, and then where I sit, which is uh, electrical engineering and computer science. Oh, and, my favorite. Um, so, so that's kind of our, our core, uh, though there are folks from all over campus that have contributed to these courses, decided to build elective courses, 
yeah, from economics, from business, from operations research and industrial engineering. We have a school of information. Uh, but then, yeah, much more broadly, like I said, folks from public health, folks from linguistics, basically all over campus have said that they're working with data in their domain and they want to collaborate with us. So it's very broad, but the kind of central core of these uh, new courses were built as a collaboration between statistics and uh, computer science. Now, um, you also asked what a student's major in, and that's an interesting question. So the biggest major on campus is computer science. The second biggest major on campus is electrical engineering and computer science, which is mostly just more computer science. Uh, if you ask the students in there, most of them are focused on computer science, but they're getting a little bit more of the hardware side as well. And um, neither of those were designed around data science. Those majors were designed around building applications. And so now we've built a new major and we just had our first graduating class a week ago. The data science major at Berkeley is uh, the kind of thing that a lot of universities are thinking about building an undergraduate major in data science. Um, we developed it over the last few years and we just had our first graduating class and uh, we've already had 110 students graduate in the program. So it's already not one of the biggest majors on campus, but already uh, sizable. And uh, I'd expect it to be growing fast. So um, what's the difference? Like if you study computer science, I think mostly you're using computers in order to build applications. If you're studying data science, well, there's still a computational element, but you're really trying to understand something about the world and about making decisions. Um, and uh, that's sort of the focus. So data science major gets a little bit more breadth about understanding uh, domains where you would apply this, understanding more of the statistics, um, and uh, whereas computer science tends to focus more on just the computer science department. So, man, I got a lot of questions for you, man. <laughs> so I, I got it, I got it. So in, in but you're in the, you're, you're pr primarily, you consider yourself in the computer science space. Yeah, yes? yeah, I mean, that, that's who pays my paycheck. And uh, it's nice around here that people get to wander around and work together however they feel like. Uh, but there is some some organizational structure in a university, and uh, I sit in computer science. I teach a lot of computer science courses in addition to the data science stuff I've been talking about. So, but one thing that caught my ear is when you were talking about electrical engineering. Obviously, that's what I went through, or not obviously, but that's what I went through. Uh, but you say it's really integrated with computer science. So, what are they taking out? Because you know. You know, whether it's electromagnetics, uh, differential equations, physics one, two, three that I had to take, what are they removing and replacing with uh, computer science? Yeah, good question. So uh, we have one department for electrical engineering and computer science. This is historical, uh, but we also like it this way because uh, it turns out there's so much work at the intersection, especially with our junior faculty who have come in recently. So many are doing kind of robotics or imaging, stuff with sensors and computation together. And so it's, it's really natural to have them together in one department. But um, what about the undergrads? Well, basically, they take basics in both sides. They take the electrical engineering core and the computer science core. And then they get to pick what electives they take. And um, so if they never want to learn the like advanced uh, signal processing or the advanced electronics, they can just skip that and study algorithms and artificial intelligence instead. So it's um, it's really flexible degree that makes sure students 
have kind of foundational knowledge and uh, a little bit about circuits and a little bit about all the math you described um, and also the fundamentals of programming. Yeah. They're not going to get out of differential equations then. <laughs> That's a tricky one. Uh, no, they, they still have to do that. Yeah, all right, good because I, I <laughs> they should. I had to <laughs> I had to get through that and everything else just as well. So, uh, like you say, so the bottom line is, is that uh, the the thought is that uh, you know they can pick a focus area. In other words, I, I presume is that they're getting to junior senior, they can take more advanced classes in algorithms, etc., or they could take more advanced classes in um, uh, what did what uh, you know I don't, I don't remember what you said. Sure. Yeah. Like the electrical engineering side of like electronics yeah, or signals yeah, and systems or circuits or whatever. Yeah. And you know, as, as you might imagine, most students these days are focusing on the computer science side. Um, and, but you know, it's, it's nice for them to get to choose. And uh, the freshman and sophomore courses that we have them all go through, they're pretty darn rigorous around here. Uh, so they have to know something about everything before they get to really choose their electives. Um, and, and that I think is good because then they can make an informed decision about what they really want to study. You know, some people come in and they think all they want to do is computer graphics. And, you know, some of those people do do computer graphics and they love it and they go, you know, work for Pixar. But some of them discover something new while they're around uh, in the intro courses. And that uh, that's a good thing. Then they can go study that other topic that they didn't even know existed. So, look, I am uh, yeah, I'm a fan of electrical engineering, obviously, because I went through it. But I got to believe that the ton of opportunity given the in the computer science area. So to your point, I believe I got to believe a lot of students are, are heading in that direction uh, because of the opportunities out there, the data, the AI, et cetera, everything that's in the in the press and the industry right now. I presume that holds true. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, our biggest course on campus is is a programming course. Second biggest course is the data science course. And the third biggest course is the next programming course. Okay, so that's kind of the heart of what most people are taking. Um, but you, you never quite know what kind of foundational knowledge that you learn in college is gonna be important over your whole career. We don't wanna just set people up for their first job out of college. We kinda of wanna set them up for their 30 years after college. And so um, giving them a little variety of uh, exposure to the math, you know, lots of linear algebra, um, maybe a little bit of uh, signal processing so that they understand what sensors are like and how they interact with digital systems. I think that could all be really valuable in ways that they can anticipate. But yeah, you're totally right. So the, what are the biggest uh, advanced courses? Well, uh, the advanced data science course is the biggest upper division course on campus followed by, I think, the algorithms course. So those are the ones that, uh, that draw most students in. And when did you say your first data science um, curriculum, I mean, the first grad of data science was? Was it last year? Or? No, last week. Last uh, week? Oh. Okay. Yeah, well, so that's wow. not technically true. So there were about 10 people that managed to finish in December. But we had our first uh, commencement ceremony uh, a week ago Sunday. And that was, uh, yeah, the first time that there was Berkeley data science students out there in the world. Nice. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. very exciting. So, so um, let me ask you a crazy question. So, <laughs> but I think this is kind of cool. If, if you were to give an infomercial for the data science curriculum and the stuff that you've been doing around artificial intelligence, you know, tell me something that I could learn in like five minutes here that you would say, you know, look, here's the infomercial and here's why is, is, is if your kid, if you're, you're thinking about what you want to do, what you want to specialize in, 
this this is the reason why data science would be so attractive. That's a challenge. I don't know, if you, but off the cuff, how how would that go for you? You know, I think that that's a great question. So let me let me give it a shot. We'll see what happens. The there's a saying that is going around among undergraduates that either you build the automated systems or you'll get replaced by the automated systems. So are you gonna be one of those people that helps harness the data and kind of builds the future? Or are you gonna focus on something that will instead be replaced by automation? Now, I think this is too extreme. Here's another version of that. Are you gonna do things the old way that didn't involve assistance by computation and computers and artificial intelligence? Or are you gonna be one of those people that's extra productive because you can do them in a new way that's augmented by artificial intelligence, by computation and by data? And the second way is where we're headed. It's already happening in lots of different fields around the world. That the way people get things done now isn't just paper and pencil, it isn't just following their intuitions, instead it's using data and artificial intelligence, machine learning, in order to make good decisions, but it's still the people making decisions in many cases. It's still a, a kind of mix of human intelligence and artificial intelligence that gets things done in the world. So when we design a data science undergraduate program, it's really about setting people up to participate in that new world, either to build the tools or to use the tools effectively or to manage organizations that are using those tools effectively. And all this is important in order to kind of shift us toward a more uh, computer augmented version of the world where people get more done, the boring stuff is handled by the computers, the interesting stuff is handled by the people. Uh, so what do you need to know in order to do that? Well, one is that you do have to understand the technology because you want to be able to extend it yourself, tailor it to your own applications, but you also want to understand what it's good at and what it's not good at so that uh, you don't put too much trust into a, the predictions of a classifier. You have to have some awareness of when they might be wrong. You know, if a classifier gets data that's different than anything it was exposed to at training time, it's going to do something uh, bizarre. And uh, if you're not aware of that and you expect it to be right all the time, then you can make bad human decisions based on problematic uh, artificial intelligence decisions. So understanding the technology is really important. Getting some practice applying that technology is really important. So uh, seeing that um, when you actually wanna solve a problem in the world, it's never as simple as download the data, uh, run some linear regression package on it and start making predictions. There's always some data cleaning, some kind of change in representation that's necessary in order to get what you want. Um, and so getting that experience is really important. And then the last part is really about uh, learning the infrastructure that enables all this. So people do need to learn how to program. They need to be good software engineers because even if you're not building a lot of software, you have to understand the tools you're working with. Uh, people need to understand the fundamentals of probability in order to reason about uncertainty and know what it means to have the chance of something happen or the likelihood of something happening. So um, these kind of fundamental ideas, which are like programming and probability and statistics, uh, really build the foundation for using artificial intelligence systems and building them in the future.
How'd I do? Are you gonna buy? I think I think you killed it. I think I think and and people probably wouldn't know. That's completely off the cuff. Yeah, nicely nicely done. I'm in. I'm in. I, and you also convinced me even more so. I don't know how people survive today without knowing how to program. I need to have my kids listen to you. I got one looking at pharmacy or going through pharmacy, which is all good in law school. Another one, audiologist, all great stuff. But I keep saying, you need to learn how to program. Take a programming class. But they see their dad doing that, and they're like, yeah, I got my own. <laughs> you know, very good. Yeah, very nicely done. Hey, if you don't mind, I always do what a lightning round. A little bit more about you. And by the way, if – I mean, I was going to say this at the end, but I've got to try to have you on again so we can have a part two. There's so many more questions I got to get to. Uh, but I try to keep it so people can listen to this in their cars and uh, doesn't go on forever. Uh, so sure, sure. Uh, if you're interested sometime, I got to get you on a part two. But I do want to get to the lightning round. People love the round. As I ask a little bit more personal questions about you and, and your, your makeup, if you're okay, I'd like to jump to that now. Let's do it. All right. Here's my first question. Um, if you could organize a conference on a topic and invite the smartest people in, in your field, because, <laughs> you know, I want to get this from you being from research and all the degrees you have, uh, who would you invite and what would that theme be? Oh, I think we'd bring together the folks that have been working on human-computer interaction for so long with the folks who have been working on automated systems and artificial intelligence and have them all work on the real problem, which is how do you build augmenting systems that uh, help people do their work as opposed to replacing people and fully automating things? Because I think that's the future of so many different, um, so many different problems out there in the world. And uh, it's the right path forward for society to kind of enable people to do better work and be more productive. Uh, and it's just an underappreciated problem. Uh, we do have some folks that are working on that in the world, uh, myself included, uh, about how to model people as part of the artificial intelligence problem. I love all that work, uh, but I think there needs to be more of it. So if you need IBM help, well, we should work together. We'll make that happen. Hey, is there anybody, I'm just curious if you're willing to say anybody specifically that you'd want to invite, you know, leaders out in the field that you say, oh, these, this one, two or three person, they've got it. They've got to be there because I want to hear from them. Oh, sure. So, um a professor here, Anka Tragan, has worked on how you make decisions when there are people involved. And uh, she's just at the top of her game. So uh, I'd, I'd love to have her there um, for interacting with robots. Uh, another professor here is P Peter Abiel. Uh, and he's uh, kind of trying to build robots that work in a home environment. So that's going to have people involved as well. Um, the... Folks who work on the human-computer interaction side, well, there's lots of wonderful people out there. Um, the one who's been advising Lilt is named Jeff Heer. He's up at University of Washington. Um, and he's just done a wonderful job over the course of his career of figuring out how to work with data visualization in a productive way and, and now works a lot on how people could interact with artificial intelligence. So I think it'd be great to have him there, too. Great, great, really good answers. And sorry, I just pick uh, academics, but you know, I, right. I live my life in university, so that's kind of <laughs> that's what I know. <laughs> that's a, that's that's perfectly fine. You you you're right. Hey, um, speaking of academics, I know you also have a master's degree in philosophy. So why why philosophy? It seemed like you were. I mean, it's interesting. You got a very wide and balanced, um, you know, uh, what I want to say, learning tree here. Why philosophy? 
So when I was an undergraduate, I didn't want to just study one thing. I wanted to try everything because, you know, why not? And um, I took some math. That was fun. Took some computer science. That was fun. Took some linguistics. That was really fun to understand how language works. You know, we all speak language, but do we understand how it really works? Well, we don't. And that's kind of fascinating. And then I took a philosophy class. It just kicked my butt. I mean, the, <laughs> the, the idea of pondering, you know, what is knowledge? What does it mean to know something? Uh, those kinds of problems. And, and, and then I did a lot of philosophy of language. So like, what does it mean for a word to refer to something? And what is that something that it refers to? These are great questions, but they're really hard. So, I mean, to be honest, like I kind of focused on philosophy because it was the thing that I, I had the most trouble with. It was really challenging for me. And I wanted to push myself to try to, to work that out. And um, well, I didn't pull it off. I didn't become a philosopher. Uh, I have great respect for those folks, but I ended up more working on, you know, real applied problems because that's, uh, that's what I have more of a knack for. But it was really fun to spend uh, a year thinking about the really deep questions. And that's, uh, that's my background in philosophy. Look, that's great, man. I mean, it just, it's, just, it's a promotion of, of why balance matters. I mean, that's why they say a lot of great musicians are good at math. You wouldn't think it, but uh, I mean, it all, it all ties back together. But it leads me to my next question. Um, and so, you know, when I was in electrical engineering, you know, I had several friends going on for a PhD. And I said, oh, not for me, man. No way. I'm, I'm, I got mountains to climb. And then I look back now and I think, damn, that was probably the mountain. Maybe I should have I should have climbed that mountain because I love to learn. And as I've gotten older, I mean, I can't get enough. I mean, that's one reason why I started this podcast, because I want to learn from great people and minds like yourself. You must have recognized that very early and said, look, I, I, I love to learn. I like the the uh, academia world. I mean, how, how did that process go for you? I mean, I mean, it seemed like it, it, based on all the degrees you have, et cetera. I mean, it was it must have been easy. But uh, I don't know. Tell me more about it, if you would. Sure. Yeah. No, I, uh, I didn't go straight into a PhD program. I got a job after school and no one sat me down and said, John, you need to go get a PhD. So I just figured I'd go learn how the world works for a little while. Um, I tried my hand at management consulting and it was really interesting. A lot of smart people, but we had, you know, six to 12 weeks to solve a problem. It was a really complicated problem. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, we couldn't know we were right or really get to the heart of the issue in six to 12 weeks for any of the issues that we encountered. Because, you know, consulting in the business world doesn't always give you the luxury of spending all the time you wish you could spend. Instead, you have a fixed amount. And that just didn't sit well with me. Like, I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy who likes to spend 10 years solving a problem, not 10 days. So, uh, so that's, that made it clear to me that I should go back and get a PhD is because I wanted to just go so deep on something that I could kind of work on it until we got it right. And uh, translation has mostly been that thing for me. And we certainly haven't gotten it right yet, but I'll just keep hacking for maybe another decade and maybe we'll get there. All right. I got it. That's great. So what, what does a day for you look like? I mean, if you were to go through your day, I got to, you know, and one thing I'm interested in, but I don't want to give you the answer is just, you know, how you go about learning. Cause I'm always trying to find more uh, time in my day to learn versus solve some of the problems and the, you know, the email and everything else I get. But what does a day for you look like? 
Oh, I have the luxury of ignoring a lot of email. So uh, <laughs> that's great. Uh, I wish uh, I had the luxury. Professors get away with that all the time. So um, I do a lot of teaching. And that means, you know, thinking about what I'm going to say in lecture and writing that all out. I spend a lot of time, you know, writing code that's like the demos that I'm going to use in a lecture. And so that means going out and reading about data sets, finding data sets, um, and then doing a little data analysis that I'll then present to the students. I like to do everything kind of interactively in the classroom where I just kind of, you know, do some data analysis, kind of live code my way through an example. Uh, but it's all scripted in advance. I always uh, think through what I'm going to build and how to build it. Um, and so a lot of my day goes into that kind of thing. And actually, that's how I do most of my learning is by teaching. So, you know, I know the topics that I want to convey. And I know something about everything I'm going to teach. But figuring out exactly how to explain something to somebody else always involves discovery. It always involves like learning new things about the subject where you're like, oh, I think I'll say this thing that I was told once. But is that really true? Uh, like, will logistic regression fit this data set in the way that I expect? Well, I'll try it. This is before a lecture starts. I'll try it out. And if it does something funky, then I have to go explore why that is. And that can turn into part of the lesson. So, um, yeah, so I do spend a lot of time just kind of developing educational materials or getting ready for lecture and that kind of thing. Um, you know, and then I spend a lot of time advising. So this is in, in my company life and with my graduate students. I get to listen to other people's technical problems and try to figure out enough about them to say something useful. Do you, what, do you get, are you an early riser? I mean, do you get up and you, you start when you're, do you start writing all this stuff out? I mean, are you, a, are you, you kind of journal in the morning to, to get your head straight? Any, any advice you can give uh, other of us like myself? I got a three-year-old at home, so I survive the mornings. Uh, I, get up, <laughs> I get up when, uh, when he cries, and, uh, and then we get him out the door fed, and then, and then the day starts. Um, and, yeah, so then, like, what does my workday really look like? Uh, it almost always starts with just uh, phone conversations with a lot of different people or personal conversations with a lot of different students. So, um, yeah, so I don't have any kind of journaling built into my life, but I do have a lot of notes from the meetings that we have together. And that's kind of a chronicle of everything that I've worked on with somebody else. Um, and that uh, that's something that I think is really vital is to kind of write it down some kind of written transcript of the meetings you have when you're trying to solve problems together so that uh, you can not forget the good ideas that came up and you can not forget that you already worked out that something wasn't a good idea. Uh, so you don't have to do it again later. I got to believe you do a ton of time boxing, though, because you got these pesky students <laughs> that have to come in. They want to ask questions and stuff. But for you to get you know, off to the next, um, the next working demo code that you're working on or the next class material that you're going to present, I got to believe there's some time that you say, look, I'm going to box like three hours here and nobody's going to bother me as I'm going to get into this and get some of this stuff knocked out. Is that true or not? Oh, that's definitely true. That's the only way I could uh, get things done around here is to block off, you know, whole two-hour chunks um, to try to think through something. And, um, yeah, usually that happens kind of afternoon or the end of the day um, because, you know, that's that's kind of my key productivity time. Um, so mornings are used for working with other people and the evenings are used for really figuring out what's going to happen. Do you, particularly in data science or data, any anything in technology, are there any tips or hints that you have in terms of material that you 
view that the common person like myself could go out there and uh, get a ton of information from versus wading through information and only find one to two good articles out of 20? I mean, is there any, any, is there anything that hits you right now that says, if I'm you, I'm going to go do X, Y, and Z. I mean, that's what you should do. Okay. Time for some self-promotion. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We, <laughs> that's what we uh, want here. Go ahead. Hit it. <laughs> we, um, we spent some time last year taking this intro data science course and turning it into an online course that anyone can take. It's called Data 8X. Um, it's on the edX platform. And it's broken up into three five-week chunks. It's, it's freshman-level material, so you could be like, oh, I don't need that. But that's not true because I learned a ton building and teaching this course by working with uh, statisticians and other machine learning folks, even though I had already done my PhD in artificial intelligence. So there's a lot of stuff there that's kind of fundamental, how you think about uncertainty, how you think about the world, um, how you work with data that people just don't know, but they should. And I think it's, uh, I've had friends who are kind of later on in their career who decided kind of on a whim, they'll try out this online course. And they told me they got a lot out of it. Now they're my friends, so they probably wouldn't tell me it was terrible. If it, if it was terrible, but uh, but the the reviews are really good, and um, and it's structured in a way that's not going to waste your time. But it's way more than just an article. It's like a way to spend a couple hours a week for however many weeks you want to go into it. You know, it's uh, fifteen weeks in total, but you could do the first third and then take a break for a while. And I think that people get a lot of value out of that, so you could check it out. Nicely. Where, where can where can I get that? Uh, well, if you search for Data 8X, then you'll find it, um, but it's part of the edX platform. So edX.org has, uh, does all the hosting. All right, fantastic. We'll put that in the show notes as well. All right, I'll try to keep it to two more questions, even though I could go on forever. How, how, how does someone like yourself define success? Oh, uh, the one thing I did pick up from being a consultant, besides being pretty good with a spreadsheet, is that the way you should measure success is by your impact on the world and not like how much someone's willing to pay you for it, but how much difference did you actually make? Like if you hadn't done this work, would it have been done anyway? Uh, would it have been done right? And so success for me is being able to look back at my career and see that like, oh, there are things that exist in the world, experiences that people have had, that probably wouldn't have happened if I hadn't put my effort into it. And uh, I think that's a general notion of success that can apply to a lot of people. And when you have that kind of success, well, I can say it feels pretty good. And, um, and it's very easy to, to link your efforts to the impact. Um, and that means that you kind of know that you're doing things right. That's great advice. So what are you most proud of then? Oh, probably the thing I'm most proud of is something we didn't talk about at all on this show. I, uh, I spent a lot of time on the intro computer science course here. Um, and it's a cool, cool way to learn how to program. So uh, a lot of students have gone through it. And a lot of students have said that it's uh, an important kind of start to their uh, career in computer science. So that's the thing that I think I'm most proud of is my work there. Wow. That's a, is that also offered online or no? 
That's my project for the summer. So stay tuned. <laughs> all right. So that's coming up. So I'm a little ahead of you. That's fine. That's great. So, uh, all right. La- this is truly the last question. I think I'm not promising, but I think it's the last question. So what do you work towards in your free time? I, I hear you got a three-year-old, so I'm sure you're, you're, I know what you're doing with a lot of your free time right there, but what do you like to do for fun? Oh, well, my favorite thing is I have an old sailboat here in the Berkeley Marina. Uh, I share it with five other uh, guys from the area, but they never seem to use it. So I get to use it most of the time. That's a perfect and, uh, combination. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and yeah, floating out there on the bay and looking at all the scenery and trying not to crash uh, is pretty fun. So that's what I do. All right. Great. Uh, I presume you don't take your three-year-old with you yet, or do you? Oh, I do. He loves it. Yeah. All right. Very even, good. Is even he... steers. <laughs> Very good. Any other kids? Not just just one. Just one so far. All right. Hey, very good. Hey, John, you've been great, a fantastic guest. And I mean it when I say this, I got to get you back on because uh, being in the data science or the data and AI field, I should say, uh, man, there's a lot more questions. And I know that the user or the listeners are going to uh, find great interest in, in, in this session. So uh, I, I will humbly try to twist your arm at some later date when I can find some time when you have it. I would love to have you back on again. Well, Al, it's really been a pleasure. So I'd be happy to come back on. And uh, this is really fun. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you so much. You're, you're, you're terrific. We will put a lot of the material that you went through in the show notes so people can find out more about you uh, and more about uh, Lilt and, and uh, more about the classes, etc. I think that'll be great. But with that, I'll sign off. Thank you once again. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Let us know how we're doing as usual. And I'll talk to you next time. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple Podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcast to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out.